Welcome to the Untangling Web3 podcast, your go-to hub to learn insights and the latest developments in the wild and wonderful world of Web3. I'm Alec Burns. And I'm Jack Davis. Tune in each week as we navigate and explore the rapidly emerging landscape of the Web3 technologies, projects, and ideas that are shaping the future of the internet. We'll be talking to the best and brightest in the industry to keep uncovering insights. So that hopefully we can all learn together on our journey to untangle Web3. Welcome to another episode of the Untangling Web3 podcast. Today, we're delighted to be joined on the show by Colin Fitzpatrick. Colin is a vocal advocate of Web3 and host of the Web3 Leaders podcast, where he's interviewed a variety of key figures in the space, including the co-founder of the Sandbox Metaverse platform, Scott Page of Pink Floyd fame, and now founder of Loot8, and experts from the likes of Google and Meta. Colin is also a serial founder in the Web3 space, currently working on a project to create AI-powered virtual humans to revolutionize customer service and tech support for brands across the world. So without further ado, welcome, Colin. And uh, yeah, thanks for, thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me, guys. I'm delighted to be here with you. No, it's yeah, great. It's, I think it's, this is going to be a, it's going to be a really interesting conversation. Um, and yeah, I think well, well, there's loads of different topics. I know Alec has lots of things he wants to dig into around uh, AI and, and metaverse, right? You put Absolutely. me in it already. Now I've got to ask some like insightful questions, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, Colin, can you just maybe just give us a really a brief background about you? What's what's your career been like, and kind of what led you into into Web three? Sure. Yeah, happy to. So uh, yeah, I'm. Uh... I'm Irish. I'm from Dublin, not too far away from you guys, but I'm currently halfway across the world in Brazil. Um, and usually I actually, before that, was living in Dubai. So I, I, I've been trotting the globe for quite a while and, and really enjoying the digital nomad lifestyle. I, I suppose my career is um, a long time, nearly 20 years in big tech companies, Oracle, Salesforce, Dell, HubSpot, etc. cetera. Uh, so very much company man, but always been an entrepreneurial spirit and it's been really really exciting and interesting to sort of be fleshing that out over, over the last little while um about three years ago uh, co-founded a project with a couple of friends around uh, metaverse concerts and nfts uh which was very very exciting got to work with the likes of snoop dogg alicia keys and some others uh which has been a really 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 cool experience and got me fantastic exposure um and then um you know I've always just been into crypto and web3 i i think i discovered you know, Bitcoin and wanted to buy it when I was around $100, but, you know, got persuaded out of it like everyone. Uh, really regret that, but who knows? I probably could have sold it when I went double and forgot about it. But, you know, been a big advocate of everything Web3, you know, um, uh, blockchain, uh, metaverse, NFTs, all that sort of stuff. 
and I tend to write an awful lot about it on LinkedIn. So do give me a follow because um, I, I try to be engaging as possible. I just really enjoy the journey. So I've been doing lots of stuff. I've always written an awful lot about AI and especially over the last six months or so, it's really exploded. And I, I'm just a complete nerd about it. You know, <laughs> when, when people are at home watching Netflix and football, I'm watching AI stuff on YouTube and, and, and keeping up to date. And as everyone says, even though you're doing that, you still can't keep up because it's just insane. Mm -hmm. But currently working on a startup with a friend of mine, um, um, we're basically making AI powered digital humans. Um, so conversational digital avatars that you can talk to for tech support, customer service, provide great experience because ultimately I just believe there's no doubt in my mind that within the next couple of years, it'll swap for the de facto standard for anyone engaging with a company or a brand will be an AI uh, very, very soon. And it has started. It's a bit clunky, but, you know, like everything in AI, it starts off clunky and then it gets almost indistinguishable like we're seeing with, you know, mid-journey and stuff like that. And so, yeah, really happy to be deep in this space. It's it's a very, very difficult problem to solve, but, you know, there's a lot of people out there sort of bit by bit getting these, uh, getting these issues over. And, and I think we're really about to hit the mainstream very, very soon. I mean, it's interesting that you said, you know, you kind of started off with knowledge of Bitcoin, as most people tend to, right? They tend to look at the, the crypto side and the investment side. And then eventually they kind of, after experiencing the space, they then come on to all the utility that come from it. You mentioned that you moved into the NFT space and now you're talking about how you're moving in the AI space. Well, the question that a lot of our listeners will be asking right now is how does AI relate to Web3? These are, you know, two disparate fields that have developed, you know, in isolation for a long time. But now the question is, how do these two fields relate to one another? I mean, it's, it's a very good question. And someone asked me that a little while ago. Hang on a second. Does Web3 encompass AI? And the short answer is no, um, it, it, it kind of doesn't. But I think in the longer term, the longer answer will be Web3 is really about, you know, the future evolution of the Internet, you know, using blockchain, things like NFTs in the metaverse. And it'll probably, hopefully, maybe, you know, envelop AI as well. The, there's a lot of people doing a lot of really cool stuff to try and bring those two technologies together. The way I would and I'm definitely not an expert, but the way I would sort of put it is that I think we're going to be extremely reliant on blockchain and Web3 to solve some of the problems that we're going to see with AI. Mm. Because when AI agents come along, which they're already starting, and then we're unable to distinguish a human from a computer or a bot online, that is a very, very significant problem. And I think, you know, having um, uh, the blockchain to solve those problems is going to be a major one. I mean, we've already seen Sam Altman come out with his human coin um, where mm -hmm. they have this orb and they scan your eye and then you can, it's proof of personhood. I do know people who think that's an absolute disaster waiting for it to happen and digital slavery and, you know, various mm -hmm. different things. But, you know, um, the, the, the short answer is, is that we absolutely need the blockchain to be able to, you know, solidify ownership value and also, you know, proof that, um, a person is a person and I think we will yeah. have to see some legislation there that hopefully makes it somewhat you know illegal to uh, represent someone as real when they're not 
I, I, it's exciting. I'm glad that you think that you already obviously have mature thoughts about this already because like, there's only a few people in the space that are actually starting to like, talk and, and develop these kind of thoughts and the, the need for this is is becoming quite apparent. I think one of the things that we see kind of at the forefront right now is around generative AI is like deep fakes. Like a lot of people on social media, all these deep fakes that are becoming like kind of prolific on social media, you don't know where what the provenance is of any video and if it's authentic or not. And in my mind, it's not just authenticating whether someone is human it's authenticating the provenance there will probably be you know i imagine there might be ai generative models in the future that create you know great content online and we don't want to yeah. you know disprove that we want to prove that that content actually comes from that ai model and is authenticated in itself and i think like the deep fake kind of agenda and the conversations and it's happening around it right now is really going to push the need for provenance and authentication on social media especially with the upcoming upcoming presidential election i think that is really going to hammer home the need for you know the blockchain and uh, the added value to that that's going to be it and i mean you, i've actually toyed around and made some of these deep fakes and if you've heard of 11 labs they can clone your voice with i'm not kidding one to three minutes worth of audio mm. that's it one to three minutes so what i did via my digital human thing we made uh we were trying to make some demos um one of the demos i wanted to make was okay this can be like a sales assistant you can be on a website looking to buy something you have some questions and up can pop you know maybe a celebrity to help you with this and the little demo we made was hey i want to buy a set of golf clubs and up pops tiger woods and we interact <laughs> and he asks me questions and he gets to know about my game he recommends a set of golf clubs and then goes hey i'll give you a 10 percent discount now and i virtual golf lesson in the metaverse if you buy and of course i buy so what i did was i took some recording of his you know popped it into 11 labs and then typed my script and he does that and you mm. would never know i mean it's unbelievable um i've also because yeah. i live because i live here in brazil okay and i don't speak very much portuguese um <laughs> you're able to clone your own voice and then get it to speak another language <laughs> and that is just bananas as well so but um we have some really cool technology that you know can track my face and my movements and have a video right here of angelina jolie and her voice and doing the same sort of thing and you know if if i have it god knows what else is out there you know it's so we're in big trouble i mean i'm cautiously optimistic about this you know ai future but i'm also terrified about many of the potential horrific repercussions yeah i mean i think i would I, I would put myself in a similar position um you know i think my first maybe it was the same the same tool that you you referenced but i think i saw someone making uh new kanye lyrics you know and you can yep. get you can get pop stars to sing whatever you want now right which is well, which is really scary and you know people beyond the grave even as well yeah i mean um what was the one the other day johnny cash singing mm. I can't remember, but something quite ridiculous. Oh, I'm a Barbie girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's what they did. And I, I posted about this a lot. I mean, they had, uh, you know, the likes of Nirvana singing Blink-182 songs and stuff like that. It's ridiculous. The, the, the kind of way I see this going, um, and I, I sort of put, put this on my podcast a little while ago. We went into a bit of depth on it with a guy who was head of music for Gallic Games, friend of mine called Brandon Tatum, really, really cool guy. He's got interesting insights on it. Is that I think it'll just sort of split and there'll be a market for synthetic content and a market for, mm. you know, real and organic mm. content. Because the example I gave is that it's a little bit like the diamond industry. So for, you know, hundreds of years, 
a diamond has been the way you, you know, propose and show your love for your future wife. And you do that by, you know, the old three month salary thing. You spend a fortune on this diamond of which, you know, if you go into it, diamonds are not actually rare. It's completely artificial Mm -hmm. and they take billions of years to form quite literally. They're dug out of the uh, ground by, you know, kids and slave labor and they are put a very artificially high price and along comes this Mm -hmm. new technology that is able to make a carbon copy absolutely identical item of which an expert cannot tell the difference unless he's got some sort of weird laser machine and they're made in a couple of weeks and they cost half the money but some people will still pay double for the real thing even though you actually cannot tell and that's kind of the way i see these things going but also you got like 10 cent is pumping out quite Mm -hmm. literally thousands of you know um AI music tracks and then you know one in a thousand makes a hit and then they're happy mm-hmm. but that's just not good for the overall market and you got so many people trying to follow their dreams of you know becoming a singer and now they got AI trancing all over them <laughs> yeah I think that I love that example I, I completely agree it's also probably the best the best use of the phrase carbon copy you could ever you could ever have so <laughs> yeah that's very um, true <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think it's it's kind of speaks to a broader point that I've I've kind of talked about in the past. In you know it, what what is happening in Web three is you know some people see uh, blockchain and, and crypto as fully replacing the existing financial world, and I kind of take the view that in, I don't I don't think that's quite true. I think it's probably more going to give people the option to opt out of that world and mm. you know everything in between. And I, I think that's a nice example where. AI and Web3 will produce a new market, right, for something that didn't exist before. And you, you, there still will be a craving for the old and, and mm-hmm. the authentic, quote unquote, uh, thing. And I think, you know, what, what do you think of that in general for crypto? Do you, are you someone who sees, you know, uh, us all just using uh, crypto payment solutions in the future? Or do you think it will always kind of coexist? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I, I, the, the problem with a lot of these sort of technologies is that they're still very much in their infancy. They're going to take a very long time to become completely prolific. And uh, the hype cycle that has gone on with crypto and then with NFTs and then with metaverse and now into AI, everyone just wants everything right now. And <laughs> you know that's just not going to happen. Bitcoin's been around for, what, 13, 14 years. Um, I'm a huge Bitcoin believer, but I don't use it every day for sending payments. I do send USDT, et cetera, a lot, and it is brilliant okay and you know like even in the setup of my last company i was having to put payments through my own bank account and then send them to pay bills and stuff like that it was a complete nightmare uh i remember sending um to book like an an act i had to send forty thousand dollars and two weeks later it hadn't turned up and i found out that it got rejected by the bank sent back to me two thousand something dollars lighter and there was nothing I could do. Call up the bank. Sorry, unless you're a customer, you're not, you know, we can't speak to you. It's ridiculous. Mm. At least, you know, payments on the blockchain are amazing. And we all know how fantastic it is. And it's fast and it's cheap. The issue is, is that there's a very significant hurdle to getting over that. And I still nearly my pants with fear when I'm sending a payment as to uh, will it actually get there? I quite yeah. literally last week was sending a thousand dollars to a friend of mine and I happened to have $700 in USDT and $250 in, um, in USDC. And I sent, I, I added him, you know, it was happy to be on crypto.com and I added him and I sent the first one and I sent the second one and the first one got there and the second one didn't. 
And when I was out looking in, I'm like, mm. hang on, I don't even recognize that actual payment. So it's like my wife. She's like, I want access to all the crypto. And I'm like, no. No, it's not doing that. <laughs> it's just, no. If I can make mistakes, I'm not risking that. So the industry has got a very, very significant hurdle to get over because for most people, it's too complicated. Mm-hmm. You know, Definitely. now, the thing that I do hope is that we have seen, you know, Elon Musk did a partnership with eToro to enable crypto payments on the Twitter network. And I think when, you know, I can send money from my Twitter handle to your Twitter handle, that's the sort of thing we need because no one's really going to be able to come up with a brand new app tomorrow and get it to a billion users in the next couple of years. That's just ferociously difficult. You you Mm. know, threads got to hundred million users or whatever it is. Yeah. Let's incorporate digital payments into threads, et cetera. But um, there are really significant negative downsides to be it Meta or be it Twitter being in charge of those. And, you know, we've just seen the head of the European Central Bank talk about the digital euro and how, you know, she wants to do that because Christine Lagarde, because of the fact that she's afraid that, you know, some of the big companies will steal it away from them. But she mm. also on this call and go check it out. She was tricked because it was an funnily enough, an AI deepfake of Zelensky. She thought she was talking to Zelensky. She wasn't. It was an AI deepfake. And he said, yes, but it will be about control. And she goes, well, yes, I mean, it will be about some kind of control. I mean, she said, right now in the EU, you can't really spend more than a thousand euros without, you know, being on the black market. And she said Mm -hmm. it'd be three or four hundred euros on the digital euro will be tracked uh, for your own safety and for, you know, a counter-terrorist, et cetera, et cetera. But the potential downsides of where that can go when every single dollar of ours is 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 monitored um, and potentially somewhat incentivized, uh, your spending by a government is completely bananas, and that's why I believe in Bitcoin. Yeah, and I think yeah, you're completely right. And in the crypto space, there's been maybe this focus on, on tech centricity at the kind of maybe the the cost of user centricity, which I think is something that AI has really taken off recently with ChatGPT, mm-hmm. is it's so easy and intuitive to use ChatGPT mm-hmm. that the focus on user centricity has made it, you know, the new buzzword that everyone is kind of completely hype cycled on right now. And I think another like relationship that we see, we kind of mentioned already, the, the kind of the benefit of using blockchain and the provenance and the immutability that can, you know, be used as maybe guardrails in a way for, for AI in the future to remove like deep fakes and prove provenance and all this kind of stuff. Another angle that I've seen being pushed quite heavily that relates cryptocurrency specifically to AIs around payment rails, like, you know, how difficult is it to KYC and set up a bank account in any yes. kind of Western country? Imagine like, I mean, it's impossible basically for AI, but imagine a future in which AI can, you know, create purchases, actually purchase, use other AIs, paper services. You just type in, uh, you know, a phrase, I want you to create a new website. And it does everything automatically. You know, you're in this space, Colin, you obviously have been in the crypto space as well. Have you thought about the overlap between those two fields and how payment rails can be used? Yeah, well, I, I mean, look, you, you've put it perfectly there, and I use this example a lot as well. We we, we in the Web3 space talk about, oh, you know, what what's going to onboard the next 10 or 100 million people, you know, into Web3? Well, you know, basically, ChatGPT just didn't bother talking about that. They just made an amazing revolutionary product that is so simple and everyone wants to use it. That's what we need to focus on doing. And everyone is way too concentrated on the tech. And that's that's just natural. That's how it happens. Um, we've already seen some of these AI agents, and you know, we're going to see an awful lot of it more, taking their own uh, initiative to 
just go and execute tasks. And one of them even went on to TaskRabbit and got a human to input the catch fat, you know, the little letters thing. And even the other person on the other side said, hang on, how are you doing this? And, he, and the AI lied and said, oh, um, I'm blind. <laughs> <laughs> so like... If you guys have ever heard of a guy called Eliza Yudowski, and you can find him for several, I think he's got a, a book and or a podcast or several things going, we're all going to die. And he describes half a dozen different scenarios where if AI is given a task to, you know, go and do something, it'll shortcut it and it'll be curtains for the rest of it. It's quite depressing to think of. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, so just the other day, Elon Musk announced his X.ai. And mm. I sat and watched or listened to all of the, you know, Twitter, uh, Twitter spaces and went into a lot of detail. Um, and ultimately, he's doing it with a different approach, which is to understand the universe. And he's got some of the best mathematicians, physicists, deep learners, all this sort of stuff, because that's what they want to do. And if you think about, you know, AI is going to be as smart as the average human relatively soon. And then after that, it'll be smarter than Einstein. And after that, God knows, you know, and imagine what sort of things it can bring. I mean, his point is, well, until it sort of invents something new, you know, some new physics theory or, or proves something, well, you know, what, what kind of use is this? So he's doing it that way. Mm -hmm. But he also said that we're five or six years away from a digital superintelligence. And, you know, that's basically the singularity when after that, we don't mm -hmm. know what's going to happen. Yeah, it could be lights out, but it also could create a utopian world of complete abundance where no mm -hmm. one needs to work and there is no hunger or poverty or anything like that the way i like to describe it is that you know if we take and look at with tesla's optimus robot and what the boston dynamics guys are going to do within five years you know they'll be selling those things for 20k and it will mm -hmm. work 24 7 23 7 for no money and you know stuff yeah. like that it'll completely obliterate you know he says if you think the market for cars is big wait till you see the market for human labor it, I, mm -hmm. it, it's insane you know yeah so anyone working digitally is you know is going to be challenged by these ai bots and everyone working physically is going to be challenged by these you know humanoid robots but when we have that what it'll do is it'll have an effect basically like the gutenberg printing press so mm -hmm. whenever that was invented before that books usually the bible cost the equivalent of several thousand dollars and then in comes the printing mm -hmm. press and it goes down several orders of magnitude when we get AI and robotics working on stuff, maybe we can do that with, let's try food for starters. <laughs> Make mm. food cheaper by 90%. Yeah. Then let's do shelter. <laughs> then let's do healthcare and maybe consumer products after that. And mm. then, you know, maybe a couple of hundred bucks from the government will give us all that we need to leave. And then we can all, you know, be happy ever after or maybe kill each other. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and not just the AI. Left. Well, I think a lot of people will because they need it. You know, they need a job. They need a sense of purpose. How do we? You know, when when you know, oh, I'm nice to meet you. What do you do? I mean, that's it. And people's people are somewhat, not completely, but somewhat defined by the job they do. And when they don't have a job, you know, look at all the millionaires and billionaires who've made more money than they can possibly need. What do they do? They mostly continue working. Mm -hmm. It's hard, yeah, because like I, I guess you know you you you're right. There's kind of two camps right now. There's this utopian and this utopian camp, and you kind of I mean Elon Musk 
even well like a year ago two years ago was saying we need to put the brakes on ai right he was one of these entrepreneurs that was pulling together to say okay let's stop the, the the development and research into ai until we understand what the consequences will be and then like you said he's just created this new company that's going to push it i know that they're kind of pushing more for like the, the modeling of the universe rather than the, the development Correct. kind of yeah it's more for like you know, generative research rather than the point of like making business and kind of making decisions and things like this it's it's scary though and i think there's a lot of people especially people that don't necessarily understand the space and the immediate consequences that they're seeing right now or maybe that you know the kind of inflammatory headlines are, are saying is you won't have a job in five years you won't have a job in 10 years and they look at government and they think okay mm. is this a government that i think is going to be reactive and on their toes and they think obviously not they don't understand the space themselves what's that yeah. going to mean for the everyday person and like you're saying yeah. it's scary AI can make decisions better than people to an extent in like, especially me and your repetitive tasks and robotics is already starting to replace jobs. What's mm. the future going to look like? Mm. Well, I'd rather not go down this horrible, you know, uh, negative area. I mean, the, the one thing I would say is that take the US government, it's comprised of mostly old age pensioners. How in the world are they going to understand this? I mean, it like it is. Uh, if I you use ChatGPT, yeah, well, most of them can't do it, but like you know, put it this way most of them do not have the capacity to understand cryptocurrency and uh and, and bitcoin etc they, they they just don't i mean look at warren buffett and his his partner in crime who all over bitcoin and stuff like that these yeah. guys were literally past retirement age when the internet came along so I just don't think they can really grasp. Plus, there's, you know, it's a great phrase, which is, you know, it's very hard to get someone to understand something when their paycheck relies on them not understanding. Yeah. Their entire world is based on the traditional financial system. They're not just going to go, oh, yeah, this Bitcoin thing looks great. Let's just tangent over there. It's just not really going to happen. Now, what did we see recently Um the, 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 the guy from BlackRock being on, on CNBC talking yeah, about yeah. Bitcoin's the next financial asset, uh, Larry Fink, whatever his name is. Yeah. You know, um, I, I did a post there a little while ago with like five or six major players who used to be highly critical of Bitcoin who are then flipped, including Michael Saylor. Mm -hmm. Biggest bull proponent <laughs> out there, you know, literally called it a scam and said it'll be dead in six months. You know, so it's just one by one by one. I, I you know, I, I've always kind of said that I don't really know anyone who's gone down this journey of truly trying to understand the entire, you know, blockchain, crypto and Bitcoin and not, you know, go that way. Uh, if you really make that effort, almost everyone does get on board but it's 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 the issue because it's you know it's it's difficult it's not easy you know i can't teach my mother about it in five minutes she's just never going to understand it <laughs> well this was the aim of this podcast was basically to kind of you know try to describe web3 and some of the core components in quite easy digestible practical tangible terms and it's yeah. hard like it even hard. me and jack who kind of understand the space each episode mm -hmm. we're challenging ourselves we're like, oh, well i've learned a few things here and it's difficult like how do policymakers keep up it's why regulation mm -hmm. is always so far behind the technology i think a good example of this is when i saw the u.s senate when they had the big social media giants and apple in there and they're asking them questions about the tech and <laughs> it was so clear they were just talking two completely different languages and there was just yeah. no understanding whatsoever just how can they regulate things they don't understand it's always something i've struggled to understand myself i mean it's like um larry page or, or one of the guys was <laughs> was on the senate and some guys goes you know 
I have one of your phones and are you, you know, listening to me? And he goes, that's an iPhone. (laughs) Like like they're really just like totally do not get the absolute basics. Um, And I, I I mean, but there's another one. Okay. And this is a debate we I'm not going to get into, but you know, when it starts, AI starts shedding jobs, which it will, I mean, you know, giving everyone a universal basic income will have half of the America screaming socialism and no, we're not doing that. You know what I mean? And that comes down to the fact that for generations upon generations, people have either worked the fields or worked the mines or whatever it is. And, and, and that gives them, you know, meaning and, you know, they, they, they work a certain amount of hours and they, you know, get a certain amount of pay and they live mm-hmm. their lives. When that goes away, I mean, there's a lot of people thinking that, you know, we might just go bananas and, kill each other like i said you know yeah. if uh, if you if you give a whole load of you know um not particularly you know educated or maybe deprived people you know loads of money it's like everyone when they're winning the lottery that doesn't always <laughs> yeah. work out really well <laughs> and you know it's now, like it's, it, people say it's going to help all us creatives and then we're sat here like well i'm not very creative <laughs> what am i going to do uh, you know look i think everyone can figure out i have a hundred things i'd like to do if i didn't have to work anymore you know what i mean um it's just this you know if you're if you want to paint great but who's going to buy it when you know i can get mid-journey <laughs> to pump me out or you know you mm-hmm. can write songs but i can just te- i mean google has a, an ai algorithm right now that i can go you know write me a you know rap song with a country vibe and with you know dolly parton singing about you know the moonshine and it will give you that thing and then I'd you listen to know that I'll... track <laughs> yeah <laughs> but you, you, you so so it begs the question as to you know who's gonna do that when everything is is look let's go one bit further chat gpt has essentially democratized content and it's going to democratize knowledge overall. You know what I mean? I mean, mm-hmm. I talk to ChatGPT constantly. And when I say talk to, I do talk to it. You know, I have an app on my phone and I, I, I use voice. And I absolutely cannot wait for the day. And I really wanted to build this myself, but I can't. I wanted to build an app where it sits in your headphones all the time and it's not an Alexa. And it's watching everything you do and it's listening to everything you say. And I can kind of go, um, yeah, okay, put that in my diary or put, you know, put, put mm. that on my shopping list or whatever it is. Because it, it can it can do it. That's it. We've crossed mm. this boundary now where computers can understand everything and we can understand them. And that's this massive, that's the most important thing for people to understand and recognize is that we no longer have to talk to computers in a certain way to get them to understand us. They can just listen. And yeah, it's, they're it's totally changed mass- that interface, right? Yeah. There's massive potential privacy concerns, but I, I operate a, um, a program on my, my laptop called Rewind, and it quite literally watches and listens to everything that goes on on your screen, and then I can search for it. I can go, hey, what was that article I saw the other day? And it'll pull up a screenshot, and then I can bring it up. Those things are coming. I mean, that movie, Samantha, sorry, Her with Joaquin oh, Phoenix yeah, yeah. with Samantha, I watched it again a couple of weeks ago. And... I actually watched it going, is that all? You know, I, I think we're, we're gonna, it's going to be so much bigger and better than that. I mean, f- you know, forgetting about the falling in love thing, but that's also happening as well. I mean, yeah, there was an article. The first AI marriage, uh, I think 2030, they're, they're estimating. No, there's, 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 there's been one. There's already been an AI marriage. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah, there's been I'm an AI marriage. Uh, yeah, I read about this a little while ago. But there's an app called Replica, and I tried it out just for fun. But at the end of the day, you know, kids, kids are forming actual meaning relationships with AI. I think there's some really scary stuff to potentially happen up here in the future. Um, mm-hmm. But digital friendships and relationships are going to be normal. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think I've, I've heard a lot of people talking about, you know, being able to interact with something humanoid. And I guess we'll kind of get onto exactly what you're doing. At your, I know it's in stealth mode. I'm not sure how much you can tell us, but sure. I've seen so many compelling use cases now for that, you know, whether it's for uh, people in, in care homes, you know, who, who need someone to talk to and uh, mm. the, the loneliness crisis that's going on. And I Massive. saw... Yeah, and I saw I saw just today. I think the, the platform's called Air. I don't know if you've seen this. And there's a there's a full AI assistant conversation, verbal conversation, using this kind of combination of the large language models and the and the text to speech, where you you can literally have essentially pre sales calls with an AI assistant. And yes. you know it sounds a little bit hokey at the minute, but it does the job. It, it's 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 completely replacing the function of what you would normally pay someone to do, which is kind of frightening, but also really impressive. Well, I mean, for most of my career, I was in sales for big tech companies and the, 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 the sales trainer from my very first job almost 20 years ago is still a friend of mine. And I've been talking to him about AI and he was just posting about this because he has his own podcast and stuff. And someone has built like a sales training uh, AI helper where it'll listen into your calls and then at the end of it give you a summary of you know what happened and and you know I use those meeting uh, AIs that and they're brilliant they're absolutely brilliant mm. it transcribes the whole meeting for you it gives you notes and well what this one's going to do is help a salesperson be better but then they'll bring it in and it'll be live and they'll just tell you what to say and then that's you know that's absolutely incredible and then mm. it'll just replace the salesperson or the customer service person automatically you know completely so. Yeah, I, I'll tell you a little bit about what, what we're doing. Um, ultimately, um, myself, uh, I teamed up with a, a friend of mine, and he has been in the 3D motion graphics, you know, metaverse avatar space for a long time. And, you know, he has photorealistic avatars, uh, like, I, like I said, that, you, you know, you can have little Angelina Jolie, but it'll copy my facial movements and, and talk like that, but in her voice. So I kind of went, well, let's strap an LLM on the bottom of that and create a turnkey solution for brands who can activate a digital human for, you know, conversational help with customer service information, anything like that. The way I see this going is that we're just so used to, I need uh, a piece of information, I want to fix a problem. We Google, we look through, we search the answer. Very, very quickly, that's just going to go to, and I've seen it already, I've seen a, a website that just put a large language model chatbot front and center on their website. Because why look for something when you can just ask for it and it'll be delivered to you? So that's, that's mm. the way it's going already. But then they'll go one step further, which is, well, you know, I, I personally think we need to ditch the keyboard. I think, you know, again, computers can understand us, so we need to move to voice a little bit better. And why not have a conversation with a digital persona who is trained on all the company's data, is infinitely patient, has all of the time in the world, and is completely mm -hmm. scalable? Because, you know, how often are you trying to solve a problem and you get through to Mustafa in Hyderabad who, you know, doesn't understand what you're saying? You can barely understand him. You're going to be on hold for how long? You're going to be transferred to another person. Then you'll have to reiterate the conversation completely again, and you'll do this several times, and you still go on get the answer. AI is perfectly aligned to solve all of these problems for us. So, um, you know, we all know when you, like I call my bank and I get through to Eva, the crappy chatbot, and I go, yeah, I, you know, I, 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 I have a suspicious activity on my credit card. She goes, you want to apply for a new credit card? Great. Let me transfer you. No, you know, th those days are kind of behind us, I think. And I think 
you know, all of those chatbot companies are getting LLMs very, very quickly. Um, so that we will be talking to uh, AI for help and support around anything. But what we want to do is really bring AI to life by personifying it with a, you know, 3D virtual avatar that you can sort of, you know, have a bit of rapport and a bit of bond with and they can, you know, be empathetic. And some people think mm, yeah. computers can't be empathetic and I completely disagree. I mm. think, you know, empathy is... Um, you know can be done by a digital character because it's like you know can you have empathy for a disney cartoon absolutely you know and that's that's the way it's that's you know that, that that's that, and that's the way it's going um i got into yeah. this huge spat with a guy on 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 um linkedin recently about i think that you know digital call it a life coach or someone can help you along or maybe a therapist you know and i don't have a huge amount of experience with therapy but it seems to me that you know just getting some help and guidance and having someone completely understand what you're saying can be done with llm other people think absolutely not um mm -hmm. but you know elon musk says that there really isn't very much that an ai isn't going to be able to do better than us within time mm -hmm. um so you know um Digital humans are, are going to take over from, you know, some of the, 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 the smaller tasks of getting information and technical support and solving problems. And um, it's going to rapidly accelerate from there. I mean, ultimately, when it gets as good as your average office worker who does their job completely on a computer, um, I mean, who knows where things are going to go. The only positive thing in slowing this down is the fact that big corporations are so trying to incorporate anything quickly so they will be reliant on humans and i think we will ai will just augment us and get us faster and but more productive for quite a while to come well that's really interesting because we spoke previously about the metaverse and we had um, robert rice on who's been in the metaverse space for quite a while and he one of the things that we kind of agreed on was that we're in the digital age right now and you know that means convenience but it also means a lack of emotions a lack, a lack of empathy it's really hard to kind of you know get empathy across the screen when you're just staring at people like this and one of the goals of the metaverse is to bring the human nature to bring the emotions actually have people you know react real time and that's going to bring like a lot of, you know, like you said, you're talking about therapy, like it can help in healthcare, where you really want that personal touch with the convenience of the digital space that that is one of the goals of the metaverse. It's really interesting that your, your, your kind of goal is to take that one step further and then use AI underneath to kind of, you know, push the empathy, but also have it, you know, working super quickly, working to a higher standard, uh, like you say, with unlimited patience and all of these added benefits that AI can, you know, even bring to the humanity aspect as well. Yeah, and so much more efficiently, right? Oh, I mean, even if, look, what does ChatGPT, et cetera, what does it really do if you break it down? It is very, very good at summarizing text. You know, yes. that's, that's what it's actually really good at doing. So if, if all it does from a very basic standpoint is I call up and I talk to an AI and I tell it all about my terrible problem that I have, that my internet's working or my phone is gone, you know, whatever it is. And it can crunch that down and it can put it in a system for a human to go and, you know, solve that issue and it can notify mm -hmm. the right people. Um, but it will go significantly further than that. But, you know, like you said there a little while ago, these AI companions are coming as well. So this mm -hmm. loneliness epidemic is, is a massive issue, whether it's old people or, you know, young teenagers. I mean, this go look at what's happening. Go to the subreddit for Replica. Um, and mm -hmm. you will see that there's so many kids that are going, no, I prefer a digital relationship because uh, an AI isn't going to break my heart and it's not going to be, you know, moody and it's not going to, you know, blame me for this and blah, blah, blah. Um, 
and they will. I mean, it's it's a terrifying thought, and I think there's colossal amounts of downsides from that. But you know, these you know, fifteen year old kids who are too scared to talk to the girls, and they're just going to stay indoors and talk to their AI girlfriend instead. Um, I don't think that's a good thing. What I do have hope for is the fact that you know these AI personalities can act like life coaches, and they can mm. actually give you you know, it's like having Tony Robbins sit in your house all the time, <laughs> you know, giving you sort of encouragement to get out and do something or start a business. I mean, you know, why, why not? That would be why terrifying. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like that guy personally, but everyone <laughs> used that example. Um, That's super interesting, sure. right? Because when you talk about, um, yeah, like the AI companions, I, I'm kind of wondering if what, what's what's the route to getting there? Because right now, you know, the most people's experience with LLMs and, and these AI chatbots is from these, data sets or these models that are trained on the global data set do you see in the future it being more of a uh, like a you could have an employee of a company that's trained on a specific data set for a company or maybe you know if it's going to be a therapist or something it has to be trained on a certain subset of data there's a lot of checks and balances on what it can do it gets tested and then almost like certified so you can almost certify these ai personalities do you think that's the kind of where it will go to be adopted yeah, I mean, I, I think the future is a combination of multiple specialist LLMs. And it was actually leaked there a little while ago that ChatGPT is, I don't know, eight or 12 sort of different LLMs all like working asynchronously. And uh, when you put a question in, it figures out which one is going to deal with it. Yeah. Things like that. I mean, what, what I've always said is for what we're trying to do, yes, I can build on top of ChatGPT, but I don't need, my, you know, my... Uh, um, let's call them an e-commerce platform and you know we're putting a, a, a sort of chatbot on that they don't need to understand you know theoretical physics and the history of indochina it just needs to be very very good and fast on the data that it is and a, and a, and a subset of general knowledge essentially um so i think these sort of smaller ones i mean the ceo of stable diffusion he's a really cool guy and he was saying and i posted about this the other day that he said by the end of the year we'll have a version of ChatGPT on our phones working offline. And uh, I've exp- I don't think it'll be there by the end of the year, but I give it a year and we will have that, okay? I mean, there's a few people making versions of it and stuff. He also said there'd be no programmers in five years because, you know, it'll, it'll, get, yeah, it'll get that big. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think that's a, a, a bit of an exaggeration. I think there'll be less and less low-level, entry-level coders, and it'll just push everyone up all the value chain to be, to be enterprise architects. Like, just because I have the chat GPT of five years into the future doesn't mean I can build an enterprise application. You know, I don't understand a whole host around that thing, but it'll just do some of the work. Um, but, you know, going back to these, you know, characters, I, I do think they're going to take on personas and you, there will be the, what I would like to see is multiple persona personalities, depending on what, you know. So if you have a, a problem with your car and you need a mechanic, you talk to this guy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you need a, your, your recommendation for what makeup to buy for your wife, you talk to this girl over here. And I think that, you know, that specializations around that. Um, but, you know, putting a little you know screen of a very very human like person that will talk to your granny in her uh in her uh nursing home just to listen to all her stories and make her feel you know wanted and loved and all that sort of stuff i mean that's coming and hopefully it'll solve a a lot of problems how is this going to come just to come back to your original question well the easiest way is alexa you know 
lots of mm. us have Alexa and we talk to mm. Alexa and we put it, you know, it'll just be an extension of that, in my opinion, or they'll they'll bring out. Google has one, you know, Facebook will have one, we, Microsoft has one, they, lots of them. So those, you know, sort of Siri, et cetera, it'll be Siri, Siri or Alexa that will just develop into that. And then you'll be able to click a button and enable Siri as a kind of life coach and to listen to everything you do and to make sure you don't forget stuff and to manage your day in your diary and make suggestions for how you can do your job better or improve your relationships. You yeah. know, that's all coming. I, I'm really glad you brought up the, um, the coding. Again. I just want to make one point on it quite quickly is that I think this is, it's quite interesting. I, I've got a coding background. I, mm. I really find it so useful. And like, I know that, you know, there's a lot of kind of negatives on the side of, okay, does this mean there'll be no jobs for coders in the future, especially the, like you say, the junior lower entry kind of people. And maybe it probably does, but it also lowers the barrier to entry to so many Correct. things. Like I can spin up mm. a website in a, a, you know, a second, basically, without mm, paying someone mm. a week to develop something. And that's really yeah. exciting. That's going to create whole new economies and, you know, mm. create a lot more inclusivity into these kind of you know, usually high barrier to entry kind of fields. And I personally find that extremely exciting. And I think on the assistive stuff that you were talking about, you know, granny having someone to talk to, one of the, co- there's so much utility apart from just the fact of having someone to talk to. I saw that there was a company that were focused on um, kind of AI buddies basically but with a, a test to kind of well part of it, it, it in the kind of um, in the system they have inbuilt like a mental health check where they're actually monitoring the level of alzheimer's based on the responses by just wow. having normal conversations and managing like the, the rate at which they respond and how well they respond i'm like that is such utility that's coming from this space that you couldn't really have imagined like 15 years ago and it's incredible we can have that degree of kind of you know improvement to someone's day-to-day life Absolutely. And I think it'll just become completely omnipresent. Um, Mm. You know, I mean, you know, when we talk about the metaverse and stuff like that, I still am hopeful for the metaverse. But, you know, Apple came out with the Vision Pro and that's the, you know, the the face of things to come. But Mm. until we can get Apple Vision Pro in a pair of glasses exactly like you're wearing, Mm -hmm. it's going to be slow going. When you can put on a very lightweight pair of glasses like that and it'll augment stuff in front of you, game over. I mean, totally the world changed. Now, I I have a friend of mine, unbelievably smart dude. Uh, He's got an extremely significant history of working in top um, healthcare companies. He's working on an interocular lens that gets inserted into your eye in a operation just like a cataracts, which cataracts is the most popular eye operation in the entire world, but it has an 8K TV in there and it powers itself <laughs> by blinking. Wow. Swear to God, promise you. Wow. Imagine that. Imagine that. Then you can just watch a movie with your eyes closed or, you know, you you, you get Jesus. anything streamed to you at all the time. Yeah. That is ter- this terrifying. Is, uh, this is a Black Mirror episode. Exactly. And then yeah. that'll just link in with Neuralink and then we can all just sort of live in the metaverse. Well, we said this thing that technology, like the screens started off as projectors, then they became TVs, then they became laptops, and they're slowly, progressively getting closer and closer to the brain and to the individual. I'm just wondering, like, what are the timelines for that? Because I, I personally find that stuff quite exciting. But... I, I, I t- about two years away till clinical trials and oh, a few years away after that until wow. it starts becoming mainstream. But a lot of people were like, oh, my God, get away. I'm not doing that. I'd be like, I told them. I was like, I'm first in line. <laughs> suck it to my veins I, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I do think that you know with various different degrees of this sort of stuff the people who 
adopted very early will have massive advantage and then it will create this huge gap of the people who use it and the people who don't. I mean, coming back to your coding one, I can't remember the stat that he says, but he says something like 40% of all code on GitHub is AI generated right now. My and God. how long has ChatGPT been out? Nine months? Give it, another, give it another nine months. That would be 90%. Pretty much, or something sure. like that, you know? And then it'll just be like, oh, well, humans don't code at all. And, you know, that's what could go wrong. Wow. It, 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 the one <laughs> thing that I would say is that, you know, that rather than looking for coders now, companies are starting to look for, um, what are they called? Like prompters, like uh, AI prompt prompters. Yeah, prompt, prompt engineers. Like that's the new thing, because like you say, like, you don't need coders when you have prompt engineers that could do the job of 10 coders potentially. Like it, scary and exciting i think it comes down to the power going forward is with the people who can ask the right questions because when we've got this magical machine that'll spit out answers to anything you can think of <laughs> you know it's just down to being able to ask the right question and it, it, there's, there's an einstein quote on this which he says if i was given a very hard problem to solve he said i would spend 55 minutes thinking about the question and five minutes mm. thinking about the answer and that you know <laughs> comes back to the fact that you know that's why these guys are called prompt engineers because they know how to ask the question to get the right answer you know what i mean there's one yeah. of the other things is that you know coming back to my point about when you did kill keyboards and like I think I don't have an iPhone, but on the iPhone app, there is the official ChatGPT app and you can just push to talk and you can speak to it and you get the answer uh, like that. Okay. I use a different app and I also use a plugin on Chrome where I can just talk to it like it is now. Mm. When you when you speak your question, you tend to be a lot more verbose. You tend to be a lot more descriptive. And I find you get a way better answer than if you just typed it because we're, you know, we're, we're sort of... Uh, used to just cramming all of our thoughts in down into five or six words for Google and then looking for the answer. Mm. So this is just a new way of thinking about how we go about the process of getting the answer we want. Yeah, it's like a it's like a harnessing that internal monologue that you've got. You know, your stream of consciousness when you say something as opposed to writing it down and then you kind of are in your own head. You're like, oh, is that the right way of phrasing that? You're not thinking about the actual question anymore, right? You're thinking about how you're presenting it, which is... a uh completely different beast but yeah i think that's a whole super interesting side to this yeah i mean i saw i saw a cartoon the other day and it's two boxes and on one box there's a, a guy talking to a, a girl and he goes oh um i can get ai i can just give it one bullet point and it'll flash out an entire email for me and then on the other side is oh look i've got an email and i can get out to shrink it down to one bullet point it's just going to be your ai talking to my ai you know in yeah. the future i mean that's kind of the way it's going yeah exactly <laughs> Um, so listen, Carla, we've, we've spent a lot of time talking about AI and, you know, there are so many things in in Web3. And I know you've touched on lots in your podcast as well. And what, I, one of the one of the interesting things I saw was your, your conversation with Sebastian Bourget from uh, from Sandbox. And, you know, I, I'd be interested to hear what are your what is your outlook other than, you know, what, what Apple are doing? What's your outlook generally on the metaverse? Because I know he was highlighting this really interesting concept about people almost preferring to buy digital assets because of the social community aspect and you know do, do you see that as being a big part of this in the future I, i've i've been saying that for years um through the sort of conference circuit and stuff like that, that i've done talking about just trying to get people to understand why people would buy something that is digital that is easily replicable that is not physical um but there's lots of things that are digital that have value and we need a way of solidifying value onto the uh, of those assets and we do that via the blockchain and nfts um 
the way I describe it is that if you talk to anyone who has kids between, I don't know, seven and 17, those kids will most likely play games. And if they play games, they are most likely purchasing digital assets within those games, such as downloadable content or skins. And there's an awful lot of kids, especially over the last years, that were locked indoors over COVID and did very little socializing. So they did all their socializing online and in-game. And what has happened is that it has changed in their mind that they care more about the persona and the sort of appearance of their digital self being their avatar than they do their real self. And I mean, I realized this, it's three years ago. A friend of mine, I was asking him, telling him about my new venture. I said, do you understand, you know, the metaverse and NFTs? He goes, well, not really, but he goes, my kid, you know, plays, um, games and the other day I said to him okay we need to buy you a new pair of sneakers let's go to the mall and the kid said no can I have that money to spend on my avatar because that's what he really cares about and they spend all this time socializing so you got a, an entire generation now who's growing up a very acute um how do I how do I say value for digital assets and you know Bitcoin's just another digital asset that a lot of you know people in the traditional sense don't understand but the way Sebastian articulates it which I'm not going to be able to do as well as him but he talks about when you buy a digital asset you know that thing is in your wallet and it's not going to get lost and mm -hmm. it doesn't get dirty and it doesn't degrade you will have it forever you can always trade it um I mean I, I you know then we can go down the line of talking about you know digital land and the insane mm. amounts of money that we're going for sandbox <laughs> and decentralized things like that i mean i think considering you know a lot of people making digital twins and selling them for a lot of money i i'm not really so big on that but people have you know coming back to the normal things people have collected things since the dawn of time mm. you know coins stamps records sports memorabilia now there's collected digital assets but those assets can be a little bit more interesting because they can show proof that you you know went to a concert or you had that experience or that you won this thing as you talk to this celebrity and you know i i i definitely do think i mean you know nfts to me will eventually fade out of the nomenclature when we're just used to buying mm. and purchasing and talking about assets that are digital versus assets that are physical it'll just be you know it'll just be left and right there's no one's better than the other and um yeah. for me yeah um we've got a, a way to go until there's become but you know ticketing um proof of attendance uh, membership, loyalty programs. There's some super cool stuff that we can do this. Scott Page from Pink Floyd gave some really great examples on my podcast. He's literally building an entire platform to enable this um, and doing some super cool stuff where NFTs can be enabled if you're at a physical place. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and there's, there's loads of really, really awesome stuff to be done there as well. So yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely bullish with the technology going forward. Yeah, I listened to um, Gary V on this, and he's like an expert in the space. And I, I love how he kind of digests these things and makes them really easy to understand. And one of the things he says is, you know, right now, how I understand who someone is, is I go to their social media accounts, I look at their Facebook, their LinkedIn, all these kinds of types of things. And he imagines the future being, I will go to your Web3 wallet, and I'll see what NFTs you own. I'll see that you are provably, you know, one of the top 1% of listeners to Pink Floyd, for example, or you've been to these concerts, or you invest in these kind of small businesses or enterprises and that will be your social currency your identity going forward and i find this concept really exciting i think like you say a lot of the the people that are investing in the metaverse right now i think a 50 percent of the 300 million regular users in the metaverse are below the age of 13 like they understand it like no one else right now and in 10 15 years they'll be the people that are pioneering this and it's just exciting 
yeah. Well, I mean, look, it, it, it depends on what your definition of metaverse is. I mean, to me, I kind of feel the metaverse has to have some sort of blockchain element to it. But mm-hmm. to a lot of others and most, it doesn't matter. It's just an online digital world of which, you know, Fortnite and Roblox and mm-hmm. stuff. And, those, those, you know, there are the hundreds of millions of users. Well, why do you say that, Colin? So what, why for you does that does only qualify as metaverse when the blockchain's involved? <sighs> That's just my personal opinion. I'm just not a gamer, so I've never been, you know, a Fortnite, Roblox, uh, or any of those sort of games users. So all of my metaverse interactions have been with what I, you know, consider blockchain-based metaverses, um, such as Decentraland, Sandbox, you know, the the list goes on. Um, Because they are, you know, digital worlds in which you can build things, you know, you can have businesses and you can exchange value. Um, But it is based on the fact that um, like with either a sandbox or a decentraland is decentralized, you know, and it's around Mm. a DAO um, and they have a currency and uh, you you use that currency. Whereas um, some of the other ones are literally just games made by a game developer that is a world. And and I I personally think there's a differentiation. I'm not saying I'm right because I think most people would just consider metaverse any digital land. Um, But I do think that more and more they will become more decentralized and incorporate the blockchain, incorporate NFTs. Um, and and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I know Roblox ditched a lot of that. And there was, a, you know, in, there was even a currency that, uh, that was around some of the ones that died because people, you know, unfortunately, NFTs have had a bad rap because of mm-hmm. million dollar monkey JPEGs and stuff like that that people just don't understand. But, you know, at the yeah. end of the day, it's just this new age flex. If you've grown up in your mother's basement, but you got millions of dollars, you don't care about having a Ferrari. You want a punk to show off on your Twitter. And that is worth more to you. And people will judge me more on that than having a Rolex or a Monet on your And, and that, that's the easiest way to understand it. Yeah, I think I, I, think I kind of agree with that. Because, yeah, a lot of people would say, you know, metaverse is a, is a very, very broad church as a concept, but maybe even call it like meaningful metaverse is what you get when you have the, the blockchain. You know, it's not really particularly meaningful unless you have this strong notion of ownership, identity, value exchange in it. I think that's kind of the real goal of metaverse instead of it just being a, a gaming thing, I think. Yeah, and is it portable? I mean, you know, portability between metaverses is going to become a whole lot more important whereas if you're just in roblox you're just in roblox it's they don't have an incentive to let you take stuff out into other games you know Hmm. whereas in the metaverse i mean you know there's on on my web3 leaders podcast that's coming out right now i have nick rossa and he is the metaverse strategy lead for accenture and his mm. job is to, you know, advise some of the biggest companies in the world and their metaverse strategy. And he's like, the metaverse is a platform. It's mm. a platform of it's a, it's a platform of metaverses. And, you know, exactly as you say there, you know, ownership, um, identity, uh, all of those sort of things are very, very important. Um, and it's just done in a, you know, portability of your assets is done in a, 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 a you know, conceptualized in a different way than a you know private gaming company who has one goal which is to make as much money as possible Mm -hmm. i think yeah that portability gets to kind of one of the core value propositions of web3 in general i'm curious kind of maybe aside from what you're doing in the ai uh in with your ai kind of uh, venture is there any one thing in particular in web3 in general you know we've covered bitcoin metaverse ai is there any one particular use case or kind of problem that you think will be solved through these these technologies working in conjunction in the future that you're you're kind of most excited about 
Um, I think there's an awful lot happening in Bitcoin at the moment. A lot, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you the ordinals thing. I'm not a huge fan. Bitcoin DeFi is coming. I mean, Bitcoin is the only thing that is, you know, really truly, truly decentralized. There's, you know, so Satoshi, no one knows, blah, 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 lots of stuff. But there's a lot of stuff. I mean, Michael Saylor's building out some really interesting tech on top of uh, on top of Bitcoin. You got the Lightning Network, which just today got adopted by Binance uh, really badly with horrible fees and stuff. But, it, but you know, it's coming, it's coming. And... Um, I think if we just use that as the basis for everything else, um, the, you know, that that's the way it'll come because we've got some small countries adopting Bitcoin as a uh, uh, as a currency. Um, we have BlackRock and another one of the European um, assets bringing out EFTs, of which maybe the, then after that's done, the institutional money will pile in, and you know, little by little, the naysayers are basically being silenced because they don't, you know they don't do it i mean you know i'm just doing a podcast episode on this right now just tackling the bitcoin criticisms you know oh it doesn't have any intrinsic value well go down the rabbit hole and see where you come on that um oh it uses too much energy well you know also let's do a little bit of research about how much energy the yeah. banking system or the internet or anything like you uses and how exactly. actually it can be a positive aspect on energy energy generation by quite literally incentivizing the lowest possible energy because it can <laughs> grab it at any stage um making bitcoin the backbone of a lot more of these technologies is very very exciting to me um and yeah i mean all i would generally tell people is study bitcoin i don't tell you to buy it i tell you to study it yeah um you know someone projected the bitcoin logo onto the european central bank office there a while ago and underneath <laughs> just said study bitcoin i was like brilliant because I've, I've been in it for years and i listen to multiple podcasts and i'm still learning almost on a daily basis i mean that's the sure. terrible thing about it and the brilliant thing about it um but the, yeah the, there's there's an awful lot to learn it's fascinating and i hope everyone does yeah you are right i think um institutional adoption is is, is crucial we we're slowly starting to see it happen which is, is very exciting and i think the sheer number of kind of applications that we're seeing that you know couldn't have been envisioned 13 years ago with the advent of bitcoin it's just yeah it's incredible um so colin this has been an incredible episode we have a segment now where we ask you two questions and we're yeah. trying to take ask all our guests the same two questions and see if there's consistency between the answers or how they evolve as the web3 space evolves so if you're ready i'll ask the first one sure um, in one sentence what is web3 to you um i hate these questions <laughs> <laughs> in one sentence what is web3 um it's a collection of t- technologies around the concept of decentralization and the blockchain that will bring you know bring freedom i think to to a lot of people via um digital payments um uh digital worlds uh, and a whole lot more i really want to hear what the rest of your people said uh i wish i was prepared (laughs) for that to be honest that was nice that was yeah that one. was very powerful i like it usually like something like that i'd go straight to chat gpt and be like give me a one word answer to this <laughs> a one sentence answer yeah, yeah we'll shorten it for the show notes don't worry yeah good 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 <laughs> so the uh, the second question is uh, maybe a bit easier um if you could choose anybody dead or alive to sit down with and discuss web3 who would it be and why 
uh, it would just be Michael Saylor. That's my my goal is to get him on my podcast. I'm a, a massive, massive fan of his. I think he, he articulates it incredibly well. And I'm really glad. I mean, you know, the guy literally gave up running his multi-billion dollar company to go, right, I'm going to put a CEO in place. And now I'm just going to go forward and, you know, sing the song of Bitcoin for the rest of my life. I mean, obviously, it, you know, will probably make him one of the richest men on the planet eventually. Um <laughs> But I, 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 you know, I love that he t- talks about digital energy and stuff like that. And, you know, when, again, once you get down the rabbit hole, it's a it's a fascinating place. So, yeah, he's uh, he's my, my favorite, you know, him and there's, there's plenty of other people like Pomp and stuff. But uh, definitely Michael would be my choice. Great. Thank you for that. So thank you for joining us, Colin. And thank you to those listening, wherever you may be. And join us next time as we untangle a little more of Web3. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Untangling Web3, produced by Emma Camilleri. Don't forget to send us your thoughts, questions, and comments on social media. And be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast provider to catch the next episode. See you next time to untangle a little bit more of Web3. The views we express here are our own and do not reflect the views of our employers.